Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Say, I am the light of the world. So when you think about it that way, depending on how bright you shine determines how dark the world is. Notice we measure things in light, but we don't have a habit of measuring things in darkness. You know, we like to complain the world is so dark and, you know, it's dark over here, there's dark over there. And we complain about the darkness, but it's really how we respond to the darkness that determines how dark the world is. See, people like, like to talk about the tribulation. Yes, the tribulation is coming. People like to talk about the Antichrist. Yes, he has his part in the end times. But that time is not now. People say, oh, it's getting dark before the world is over. Well, yes, but that time, the world's not over. We're still here. And if we don't want the world to be a dark place, then we should make a difference. We should shine the light. We should be the light. Light is best in dark places. When we talk about the time we're living in, Isaiah prophesied about how dark a gross darkness would cover the people, and we're in that time. But you read that, it's also talking about the light that's going to be on the people of God. So yes, the world is dark. That's why you're here. That's why when you got saved, Jesus didn't just rapture you up to heaven. He expected you to make a difference in this time. So I'm going to read the rest of it in the message version. And it says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house to be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Here's another way to put it. Go back again. You're here to be light. I don't know how you make it clearer than that. But go with me to Revelation chapter 1. So wherever you go, you're the light. And you can't be upset if people don't like you. Because have you ever been in a dark room for a long period of time and then someone turns on the light? What's your reaction? Oh, you walk in places and that are pe that's people's reactions. So some people are just reacting because they've never seen the light or they've been so long without the light. So don't take it offensive. Jesus even said if they treated me bad, they're going to treat you bad. Don't expect to be liked by everybody. They may try to cancel you, but they can't cancel the call on your life. They can't cancel the blessed. They may try it, 
but it won't work. Because the Bible says no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you, you shall condemn in judgment. So if they try to cancel, you say, I condemn the cancellation. I'm the blessed. Balaam found out you can't curse whom God has blessed. This generation needs to find out you can't cancel whom God has blessed. They can't cancel your call because they didn't call you in the first place. Now, if they called you, then they can cancel you. But they didn't call you. And the Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. So even if you did something stupid, even if you did mess up, even if you did make it harder on yourself, God did not cancel you. Here's the problem of cancel culture. There's no room for redemption. And that's at the very heart of what we believe, that Jesus can save to the uttermost, that Jesus can redeem to the uttermost. So don't get caught up in a cancellation culture that would cancel you in a, heart, in a heartbeat. They can't cancel whom God has blessed. And Jesus still redeems today. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he's redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So don't worry about the cancellation. Don't be anxious about the cancellation. They may try, but they will fail. You're getting two times where there's a point where when people stretch their hands against the anointed, they're not going to like what they draw back. The Bible says, touch not my anointed ones and do as prophets no harm. So what you do, you don't focus on getting revenge. You don't focus on striking back. You focus on walking in the anointing. You focus on being the light and letting God fight your battles. For this is the time of the vengeance of God. Not the wrath of God. That's another time. But we will see in this time the vengeance of God, and God will fight for you. But if you start fighting, he's not going to fight. So it's either going to be two people fighting, you or him. I pick him. He's a better fighter than me. But if I'm trying to do all this, I'm blocking what he can do. But if I say, you know what? Here's the smart thing. I'm out the way. Go for it. Don't worry about being canceled. They can't cancel the blessed. So Revelation chapter 1. Verse 10. Still talking about being the light of the world. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, that's modern-day Turkey, unto Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. So John heard the voice. This is the first time hearing the voice so strongly since Jesus walked the earth. He's had appearances with Jesus and times with Jesus, but you knew he knew the voice of Jesus. If anybody remaining on earth knew the voice of Jesus at this point, it was John. All the other original apostles have already gone home to be with the Lord. Paul himself has already gone home to be with the Lord. This is in the AD 90s. John is the last original apostle that walked with Jesus, and he was one of the youngest when he walked with Jesus, and he was so confident in how much Jesus loved him that even in his gospel he says, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. But it wasn't just John. You know, a lot of things we're saying, oh, John was confident that Jesus loved him. Peter was confident that Jesus loved John. 
Well, how do you know that? When you read the different accounts of the Last Supper, when Jesus was talking about someone's going to betray him, and people were asking, and they weren't getting a straight answer from Jesus. So Peter, it says, motion to John, and said, John, you ask him. And so John leaned on Jesus and asked him and got an answer. So if anybody on this planet at this point knows the voice of Jesus, don't you think John would? So he turns expecting to see who? Jesus. Not your question. Who does John expect to see when he hears the voice? Jesus. He's facing this way. He hears a voice behind him. It's the voice of Jesus. He turns around expecting to see Jesus. But that's not what he sees first. What does he see? And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, unto one like the Son of Man. And he describes how Jesus is dressed and what it looks like in the glory. Look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers to the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which you saw are the seven churches. So John was expecting to see Jesus, but instead he saw the church. When, Jesus turned, when John turned around, he expected to see Jesus, but instead he saw the church. And how is the church exemplified and symbolized here? As a golden candlestick, as a lampstand, as being the light of the world. We have to let that sink in. That when the world turns around expecting to see Jesus, they should see us. Because we are the light of the world. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But then he boldly proclaimed, you are the light of the world. And so when people look at you, they should see Jesus. But there's also another wonderful truth here that I want to point out before I hand it over to Minister AJ. Think about it this way. We're a bunch of imperfect people. There's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. The rest of us have issues or subscriptions of issues. But Jesus still wants to be identified with us. That he's still in the middle of the church. That he's in the midst of all the golden candlesticks. So in the midst of all these issues, and you read through Revelation 1, 2, 3, you'd see literal churches, not just ages that exist, no, literal churches, and their issues, and Jesus says, I'm still associated with them. And when you read the, how it translates in the Greek, Jesus said, I'm walking up and down every single church, examining what's going on. He's still even in all of our issues, he's not ashamed to be identified with us. You know, you read Hebrews as he's not even ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to call our name before the Heavenly Father. He's still associated with us. He called us to be the light of the world. And so when the world turns around in this day and age to see Jesus, they succeed us because we are the light of the world, and Jesus lives within us. Praise God. Welcome, Minister AJ. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for the opportunity once again to minister. We've been learning for the last few weeks about the fruit of the... Let's say that one more time. What have we been learning about the fruit of the... The Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. All right, well, we've learned about love, joy, what else? Peace, 
And what's today? Somebody said it, Miss Gwen. Long-suffering. Some versions of our Bible say long-suffering. Others say patience. Well, we're going to look at that word patience, but specifically long-suffering. So if you need to find the scripture, it's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Everybody say that with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it basically tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and then what's the fourth one? Long-suffering. Well, when I think about long-suffering, I always, whenever I study, the Lord always gives me some kind of visual picture so I can uh, see, you know, see the word visually. And when I think about long-suffering, I think about this skein of yarn. And it's basically, it, let's see, how many yards and how many inches are in here? 744 yards. So I could easily take this and run probably out the front of the church and run around the parking lot a couple times. And so when you think about long suffering and you think about a long piece of yarn or long piece of string, it goes on. I'm going to put this down for just a second so I can work with it. It goes on and on and on and on, and it allows you to go a great distance. So when you understand the word long-suffering, what long-suffering is the picture of is an ability to go without end. Now, when we, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 18. And I want you to see the picture that Peter had when he was asking Jesus about forgiveness, because this is something that we have to understand. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 says, excuse me, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, and it reads, Then Peter came to him, him being Jesus. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I forget, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So what Peter, Peter thought, you know, well, Lord, I know you want me to forgive my brethren and, you know, well, before we even get into forgiveness, let's think about some of the reasons why we need to forgive people, because this helps us understand long-suffering. We need to forgive people. Why? When they get on our, ner- our nerves, when they say something we don't like, when they do something we don't like, just because they spoke to us in the morning and we're just not ready to talk to them, okay? So <laughs> that would be me. I'm not a morning talker. I don't want to be talked to in the morning. Um, that's kind of funny. I, w- I could go on, but my husband's a talker in the morning, and I'm just kind of like, not yet, sir. Please, not yet. Give me a minute. I need to talk to Jesus. And even with Jesus, I'm like, give me a minute, Jesus. Um, So when people get on your nerves, you know, and you know, sometimes um, my mom used to have this saying when I was a kid, she's like, you didn't got on my last nerves. I was like, really? How many have I been on already? You know, so, (laughs) you know, you you have this, uh, this idea of people that irritate you, agitate you, offend you, bother you, just work you to no end. But what you have to understand with long suffering and what Jesus wanted wants us to understand is that love suffers. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love suffers long. In other words, love, God's love in us has an enduring power that can continue and go on and on and on and on 
and on. But I want you to see something interesting that Peter said to Jesus. He said, Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brethren? Let me see, Jesus. One time, two times, arm length, y'all. Three times, four times, five times, six times, seven, Jesus. You want me to forgive my brother seven times, right? And Jesus said, no. What was Peter looking for? Peter was looking for a stop sign. Peter was looking for a point where it was okay to stop loving them, to stop forgiving them, to stop enduring with them. But what Jesus said is, no, 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 Peter. It's not until seven times. I'm not giving you a legalized stop sign that you don't have to walk in love with anybody anymore. Instead, what I am doing, I'm telling you until seven times 70. In other words, the amount of time that you walk in love and forgiveness with somebody, the amount of times that you deal with them and you suffer long with them, it doesn't end. See, the interesting thing about this piece of yarn is that it has a stop part and it has an end. Our long suffering should never have a stop sign. It should never have an end point. In other words, we keep going. It's almost like uh, the batteries that were you know, popular when I was a kid, the Energizer Bunny, he just kept going and going and going. In other words, he never stopped. So when we talk about suffering long with our brothers, the word tells us not just to suffer long with our brothers or to endure them, but it tells us to love our enemies. In other words, we are to express the God light, that spectrum of light to the entire world so that when they come against us, they see that there's no stop mark because they have to understand visually the mercy of God. When you understand the Apostle Paul's life and how, how vicious of a life he lived towards believers, this was somebody who, by, all, by our terms of life today, should have been annihilated, should have been executed. He should have been taken out for the wrong that he was doing against God's church. Instead, God was long-suffering towards Paul. He gave him enough time to get it right. That's what we need to do with people. We have to be long-suffering. And it reminds me of this pineapple. Because, see, sometimes, now, now I'm going to tell tap your neighbor say, neighbor, don't be a pineapple. See, pineapples, you know, some of them, you can dress them up real nice. I mean, you smell it, it looks good. And mine even has a cutesy little Disney sticker on it. Don't ask me why it has a Disney sticker on it or a Disney tag on it. But it actually has a Disney tag on it. In other words, it's a nice little character. But if you know about a pineapple, it has some prickly parts, okay? And now, the other thing that's interesting about a pineapple is that it tastes delicious, especially when it's cold. And if you get one from Maui that's on the road to Lahaina, way up going. I'm sorry, I went on a, I went on a little vacation there. But, um, but really, Maui has some really delicious pineapples. But, you know, when you're looking at the pineapple, you wouldn't know it's delicious based on the outside. Why? You can't get to it. And so what happens? With the pineapple, now I've got my, my nice little sharp knife here, it takes some work. You've got, now, there's some prickly parts on the outside that if you just touch it and grab it, fresh picked, it's going to hurt. 
So when you look at people and you look at believers, it, it takes some time and some work to deal with long, to, to walk in long suffering. Amen. But when you take it and you have the right tool for us, which is the word of God, then you'll start to shave off those rough edges and you'll see, oh, wow, there's a beautiful fruit on the inside. But even when you get to the inside of the fruit, there's a hard core that has to be cut through and removed. And when you're done and you get to the delicious meat of the pineapple, there's room for sharing with others. And so what God needs us to do with people as I close, just like you can see the Apostle Paul, I need you to see the world like this pineapple. They've got a rough exterior. They've got some issues and some problems that need to be removed by the word. And they've got a heart that's on the inside that's hard and seems impenetrable. But when you come at them with the knife of the word of God and you shave off the rough edges of their life, then you can get to the gift or the fruit that they have on the inside that was meant to be a blessing and nourishment to others. So it is crucial for us as believers to walk in long suffering because if we don't, we'll never get to the good part. Amen? Thank you. That was so good. Before this thing's in, I'm going to bring a prop up here. I promise you. <laughs> Ye of no faith in me. Really? You're saying no? It might be basketball, but it's still a prop. Um, Romans chapter, chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. Um, for those of y'all who saw my behavior this past Sunday, I apologize. The baby is not here yet. Um... Yeah, wife was like, Friday night was a rough night, but the baby's still cooking, so yeah, just pray for her because she's getting tired. Um, yeah, if you were not here last Sunday, don't worry about it, okay? You should have been here. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, um, verse 6. In his grace, God has given to us, God's given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the, uh, so if God give you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving to serve others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. And for this morning, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. Please be encouraging. Um, in this particular season here, um, unlike Minister AJ, she's visual. I'm, I, I'm not. I am not. I'm more of a word guy, so it's like I went to the actual Greek. So uh, up in Greek, this particular word, parakaleo, P-A-R-A-K-A-L-E-O. It talks about someone who gets alongside of somebody to beseech, to encourage, to strengthen, but the proximity is what matters. A bunch of times it's like, all right, has everybody here actually met Tony, my actual wife? Has everybody here met Tony? All right. You may know there's a slight difference between me and Tony. It's a slight. Um, she is more quiet, you know, more soft-spoken. You will have to come to her. Me, I will probably walk up to you, dap you up, jump up and down, do all that stuff too. 
So meaning, she don't like being bothered with people. Sadly, and I'm going to pick on the church, not this one in particular, but if the shoe fit, may God bless you. What I'm noticing a lot of time with Christians is we don't like being bothered with people and their stuff. So what happens is we have a lot of people that come to church and they're still works in progress, which is totally fine. But with this particular word, what God is saying, it is like a, it's like a leader of the army before they go to battle. They stand before the troops and saying, this is our mission. This is what we actually have to get done. There are different dangers that are coming, but the ultimate goal is to win the war. As actual light, the actual goal for us is to make sure everybody manifests God's good, pleasing, and perfect will in their spirit, soul, and body. That's the Reggie Standard Version of the Bible. So what happens is, in order to actually do this, God has given us all gifts. Everybody has a gift to reach out to other people. Unfortunately, though, that stuff is tiring, and I don't have time for all of that. Because now to encourage somebody, Hebrews chapter 10, and this is where I want to actually go. Hebrews chapter 10, if you would turn with me. Verse 25, this is the writer of Hebrew. There's a bunch of talk about who actually wrote the dang book. I don't really care at this point. It made the canon. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The early church took this thing so literal that every single person gave what they had in order to support the overall mission and vision of the church to make sure that I gave what I had to make sure somebody else ate. I'm kind of greedy. I don't like sharing food. So this particular church here, what they did, they wanted to see everybody eat. They started looking, what can I give? This particular church here, they wanted to make sure that everybody had a place to sleep. I live in Atlanta. Y'all are interested. I'm from a small town. We like, hey, my couch is right here. Here, not so much. This church wanted to see everybody be encouraged that what they did, they invested their time, their challenge, their treasures to think of creative ways to make sure nobody went without. And it took them being in close proximity in a good relationship with these people and their needs and took it as their own and make sure that everybody had it. Encouragement. Yes, there are verbal worries in the yes, smiling, encouraging, you can do it, yay. That's part of it. But it goes beyond that to where now it's like we see the need and we're working our butts off to make sure that everybody has it because my God shall supply. If God is the actual source, we're just the vessel in which he works. Whether or not we're given time, talent, or treasures. Last one, then I'm going to keep moving. Acts chapter 4. We are meeting this guy, this particular guy in the Bible. His name is Joseph. I don't care what nobody say. This dude's name is Joseph. But he personified 
this encourager, this comforter, this consoler so much, they remixed this man's name. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Once again, his name is Joseph. For instance, there was Joseph, the, the one the apostle nicknamed Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and bought the money to the apostles. So this guy was so much of encouragement, so much of a, of a con consoler, so much of a strengthen that they call him Barnabas, call him son of encouragement. When I first thought about this, I'm like, man, if I did not have my own nickname, because I'm named after my actual father, and so they call me Reggie just for short. What would somebody else call me? Because those names, nicknames are typically given by somebody else to you. We think a person is an actual jerk to call themselves that unless they are good in basketball, Kobe, or LeBron, the king, he called himself that. But a bunch of times, people name you something else. This guy was so, such an encourager that they call him Barnabas. So if the world, the people we're called to impact, not the Christian sitting beside you, the person that love you, you can do everything right, those other folks, if they were to nickname you on your job, at your house, ooh, where you most comfortable at, what would they call you? Last point that I'm, that I'm going to sit. Uh, Acts chapter 9 and chapter 11, we see what Barnabas does. One thing in particular that really, really stood out. Um, Saul was this guy. He was this mean guy. And what happened is he was so zealous, so passionate about his faith that he was walking around killing anybody that didn't agree with him. So what happened is God got his attention. Very amazing story. But his reputation went before him. So now he gets saved. He is the biggest murderer out there. He gets saved. He's coming to Faith Christian Center. Everybody at Faith Christian Center, like, oh my God, have you heard about him? He's coming. MODs, watch him, right? So when this happens, Barnabas, Barnabas now, oh, la, 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 la. let me, Acts chapter 9, verse 27. When this happened, this guy here comes, verse 26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, meaning this person was such a dramatic experience, a dramatic turn, because the Holy Spirit hit him. He tried to go to church, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was truly saved. Then Joseph, then this encourager Barnabas, went, met him, brought him to the church, the apostles, and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them how Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas was this guy who put his reputation on the line to make sure that somebody else had a chance to be accepted and to grow in the things of God. How many of us have had somebody do that for us? Maybe on our job. Maybe uh, once we were trying to get started. Maybe once we were first coming to the faith where somebody was like, there is a treasure inside this person. And on my marriage, forget them. They don't, okay? You all know me. On my marriage, let's accept him and give him a chance. 
We got a whole world out there. How many of us will be Barnabas for them? Will we encourage them? First in prayer, please let us pray for them first because a bunch of times we don't pray for people we don't like. Pray for them passionately. And then as God give us the opportunity, let's go get them and make sure that they manifest all God has for them. I thank you very much for it. Amen. You know, I told them two weeks ago they're doing such a good job, I may take a break. And I told them it's half of a joke, and I did take a slight break. But they just, they're just tremendous, aren't they? They're just tremendous. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So Minister AJ's been teaching us on the fruit of the Spirit. Minister Regiment's teaching us on the Romans 12 grace gifts. And I'm teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So one of the things about the fruit of the Spirit and the grace gifts, you can use them whenever you want. It's up to you to activate it. You already have them. You do not need a prompting of the Spirit to walk in love. You don't need a prompting of the Spirit to operate in long-suffering or be patient. You don't have, have a need a prompting of the Spirit to exhort or to encourage. These are things you can do as you choose. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, they operate as the Spirit will, wills. So sometimes they're spontaneous, but not always spontaneous. The Lord can tell you the night before or times that this is how I'm going to operate in this day with you is just be ready to be used. But they operate as the Spirit wants to. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual, notice it says gifts. If you look at a physical Bible, it's gifts is italicized, which means it was added there for the clarity of the reader. But if they added it, you can also remove it. So it's not just concerning spiritual gifts, but things relating to the Spirit. So when you read chapter 12, 13, and 14, you see different things relating to the Spirit. So now concerning spiritual things, brethren, I would not have you ignorant or uninformed or unaware. Now you know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, idols that can't talk, even as you were led. So one of the things that Paul does in this letter, if you study Corinthians, he's correcting so much. There's so many issues going on in the church that he takes about six chapters to correct them before he begins to answer the question. They wrote the apostle, says, hey, we have a question. But he does, you don't see him begin to answer some of the questions to chapter 7, verse 1. So imagine how much is going on in there that Paul took six chapters to get them together. Then he begins to answer some questions, and then he begins to still correct. So even in chapter 12, 13, 14, he is correcting some more things. He is making sure that some of the Gentile pagan practices that were in the temple in the city does not come into the church. And so you'll see it. So even when you think, I'm not going to teach on it today, but people have taken the last part of chapter 14 and used it to put restrictions on women in ministry. But they've taken that out of the context of what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about women preaching. There are female apostles in the New Testament. There are female prophets and prophetesses in the Bible. Paul's received ministry from them. Part of his team are female ministers. So he's not telling them they're not supposed to speak in church. He's dealing with something specific. Now, one of the things, you know, I, I did this specifically. It doesn't have to do with the gifts of the Spirit, but I did this specifically when we had a Marietta meeting. I think this was the February one. I purposely preached with a hat on. Now, I've done it here before, but I purposely preached with a hat on to shish kebab, a cow, a religious cow, if you will. Why? Because some people think, well, the Bible says a man can't preach with his hat on. That's not what the Bible says. You have to think about it. Understand culture and context, or you'll fall for a con. 
in chapter 11 when they're talking about it and saying, well, is it a shame for a man to preach with his head covered? Now, remember, Paul is a Jew speaking to a, major, a majority Gentile church. Paul, as a Jew, has a head covering. And when he's in the temple and other places, he would preach or prophesy and pray with his head covered. But in the Jewish culture, the women would not preach with their head covered. But now in the Corinthian culture, it's reversed, where the men don't cover their heads, but the women do. So he's not talking about this is what God wants you to do. He's talking about how to operate within cultural confines and understanding what's going on. So when you study the scriptures, please don't just pick your favorite scripture and build a doctrine. Study to show yourself approved. Understand what it's saying. Walk through these different things. So even when Paul's talking on the teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, he's correcting some of the things of the culture they allowed to come in, but he's also making sure they operate by the Holy Ghost and not a familiar spirit. Because what's known in the temple that's across town is that they would have priestesses that would get high on drugs and begin to prophesy. What did they have in town? A counterfeit. Paul's teach them how to operate by the Holy Ghost and not the counterfeit. I can already say I won't get into today. It might be next week because I want to teach you how to prophesy. And I said, well, how can you teach someone to operate by a gift of the Spirit? Doesn't you say this by the Spirit wills? Yes, but the Spirit wants everybody to prophesy. And you can set yourself up to be used in the gift of prophecy. Now, you may not use the other eight gifts, but the ninth one, the gift of prophecy, God wants everybody to be able to operate in. But the misunderstanding about the gift of prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy, is people think, oh, that means I'm going to tell the future. The Bible does not say prophesy to tell the future. That's not what that word means. And the thing is, people run to these prophetic meetings to get a word and end up leaving with a demon. You have to know the Bible for yourself. You just have to have a relation with, relationship with the Holy Ghost for yourself, that you don't have to run to a meeting to get a word, especially don't follow a prophet that says, yeah, you should marry that person. They don't have to live with that person. Why, why would you take a word from a person that says, well, you should marry that person? They don't have to deal with them. They don't have to see them with their hair off. And in this day and age, that works for the men and the women. They both got wigs in these days. Come on, even guys have fake beards these days. They don't have to live with them, so why would you take a word from that? And the Holy Ghost doesn't say here that, oh, yep, the prophet's supposed to tell you who to marry. That's unbiblical, especially under the new covenant. So please, anytime you receive a prophecy, I'm not even planning to cover prophecy today, but here I am. Anytime you receive a personal prophecy, judge it by the word of God, number one. And number two, judge it by what you've received in your spirit. Because, well, many people can miss it. But don't say, well, they prophesied to me, so I made that decision. Well, did you have a witness in your spirit? No, my spirit told me not to, so follow your spirit. We're in the new covenant. Every believer has the Holy Ghost on the inside of them to lead them, to guide them, to direct them. Now, you say, well, I'm not sure if it's me or the Holy Ghost. I'm not sure. Then put it on the shelf and pray about it. And if you do not have a specific leading from the Lord about it, just leave it there. Because it may be regarding sometime in the future. We are to be spiritual people. And so we should operate by the leading of the Spirit of God and be sensitive enough to him to step out when he says step out and also be sensitive enough to know, uh, that's not right. 
And so if we get into next week or later in this series, and while I'm teaching how to do it, you know, I might have you, okay, I'm going to give you some instructions. And if you miss it, I'll tell you, oh, no, you missed it. That's okay. That's where we're supposed to learn, right? Because how do you know if you get it right if someone doesn't tell you you got it right? Right? And so when it comes to operating in the gift of prophecy, it's, as you'll see, and we'll get into more next week, it's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. So if you put yourself to be an encourager and exhorter, like Minister Reggie talked about today, you put yourself in a position to operate in the simple gift of prophecy. One of the things also about the simple gift of prophecy is a very effective tool for your personal prayer life. Now, that doesn't mean you need to write down every prophecy and post it on Facebook. And just because you prophesy does not make you a prophet. Because if God said that he wants every believer to prophesy, he didn't say every believer is a prophet. But what do we see here? The Holy Ghost wants to use every single person. So back to 1 Corinthians 12 a little bit more. Verse 8, or verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, or for the common good, for everybody to go up and benefit together. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. We've talked about that. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. We've talked about that. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. And to another, ter- interpretation of tongues. Now, one of the things about the gifts of the Spirit, if one is supernatural, then they're all supernatural. If one is natural, then they're all natural. So some people try to explain away the gifts of the Spirit and say, well, no, diverse kinds of tongues is someone who can speak languages really well. That's not what the Bible teaches. Well, gifts of healing is for a doctor. That's not what the Bible teaches either. But what do they do? They try to naturalize the gifts because it fits with their doctrine, and then they make everything else natural, and you outrule what the Holy Ghost wants to do in your life. And so when you look at here, you see the discerning of spirits. Now, how many of you have heard someone say, I have the gift of discernment? There's no such gift. That's not what the Bible says. That might be the gift of suspicion, the gift of being nosy, the gift of being a Facebook stalker, you know, the Instagram stalker and scrolling, 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 thinking you got a word for that person, and then he accidentally hit like from a picture in 2013. It's not the, that's not the gift of discernment. you just nosy. The discerning of spirits means to see into the spirit world. It's to see into the spirit world. And as the gifts of the spirit operate, they operate as the Holy Ghost sees fit. So you can't say, well, today I'm going to discern into the spirit world. No. You'll see into the spirit world today if the Holy Ghost decides to open it up to you. There is a spirit world. We all see in the natural world. We're all affected by the spirit world, but we don't have a promise to see into the spirit world. When the discerning of spirits is in operation, you will discern or see into the spirit world and see the similitude of God. You may see him. You may see the glory of God. You may see how the glory of God manifests. You may have a vision of Jesus. You may see the Holy Spirit in operation in a way that your eyes and your spiritual eyes can perceive. You may see angels. There are tons of angels in this room. You may see demons. You may see other manifestations in the spirit world. The spirit world is real, and it exists. You are not promised to see into it, but you are promised that you have authority and that your words affect it and many other different promises in the Bible. So the discerning of spirits operates, allows you to see into the spirit world. So what does the discerning of spirits do? Come on. 
allows you to see into the spirit world. And so you'll see it operate in different ways. So when you read through the book of Acts and the New Testament, you see three different types of visions. The lowest level of vision is something we may call a mini vision or inner vision, where you may close your eyes and you see something. And that is a very common type of vision. And one of the things the world war came to Brother Copeland last year about this year, he said this will be a year of visions and dreams, where more believers will have visions and dreams. And that is one of the main visions you'll have on a regular basis if you spend time in prayer. And the thing is, he said, well, I have to be in a perfect place with the Spirit to have a vision. Well, that'd be great, but, you know, some days you can't pray 12 hours, right? I remember one day I was praying. It was a Saturday night. I was getting ready for the Sunday morning experience. And, you know, I'm praying, doing my best to pray, but, you know, they're, they have a three-year-old on one leg and a one-year-old on the other. You know, there's only so much prayer and meditation you can get done when they're holding on to both legs, right? And so I'm praying over the message for the next day, and on the inside of my spirit, I see what God wants to do in the series. And so that showed me that I don't have to be trapped in a prayer closet to hear from God. I just have to be open. That he'll talk to me no matter what I'm doing, because it's all part of life. We see we live in a nation and a culture where we try to compartmentalize everything. That here's my Jesus life, here's my work life, here's my family life, here's this, here's that, when the Holy Ghost wants to be in everything and help you in everything, and show you things to come in everything. But you have to be open to cooperating with him and working with him. And so the first level is a mini vision that you close your eyes, you'll see. Then there's a higher level, you see it in Acts chapter 10 called a trance. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. Now when it comes to visions as well, you cannot make yourself have a vision. You can't make yourself have a dream from God either. Because not all dreams you have are from God. Some dreams can be from the enemy. Other dreams can be from pizza. But you judge dreams by the word of God and what you have in your spirit. Now, you can tell God was one of the things I do on a regular basis. Father, I'm open to receive a dream from you tonight. If you see fit to give me one, I'm open to receive it. But that doesn't mean he's going to give me one that night. What am I doing? Just living open. So when you get to Acts chapter 10, let's start with verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and says, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and your alms are come up, before, come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you ought to do. And when the angel which was spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he declared all these things unto them, he sent them unto Joppa. So what do you have here? Cornelius, a Gentile, is a devout man. He believes in the one true God. He's not saved yet. But he is a giver, he is a generous person, and he walks in reverence towards God. And while he's in prayer, he has a vision. And in this vision is an operation of the discerning of spirits. He sees an angel. 
And then the angel begins to give him information, something we would call a word of knowledge, a part of God's knowledge concerning the past or the present. He said, there's a man named Simon Peter. He's living and he's staying in this house in this city. Send your people to get him, and he'll come to tell you the words of this life. So now it's into word of wisdom. So you see an operation of the Holy Ghost here about to open the door to the Gentile world in another way. And so, as you keep going forward on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He be- and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he, was in a- he fell into a trance. So he goes up to pray because he's waiting for the food to be- get ready. So maybe he gets hangry. Does anybody get hangry in here that you know if it's going to affect your love walk if you're hungry? So maybe Peter was that type of person, that he was hungry and says, well, I got time, might as well go up to the rooftop and pray. So he's just going to pray. This might be his normal habit. Maybe he had some time to kill. He says, well, maybe I should spend some time in prayer. Either way, he goes into prayer and he falls into a trance, which means this was not what he was expecting. He's expecting to eat in just a little bit. He is hungry. But he prays and falls into a trance, which is the second level of visions. Once again, you cannot make yourself fall into a trance. You can't say, God, I'm going to have a trance today. No. And he better not use the mystic devil side of trying to go to all these people that try to get you into a trance because you end up with demons and doggy bags. You wonder why your kid has these issues because he operates in witchcraft. Anywho. So he falls into a trance. It has to be initiated by the Holy Ghost. And in the trance, your physical senses are suspended and you see into the spirit world. So he's not aware of what's going around him in the, in the natural, but he sees in the spirit world, and God has given him this example of this, pretty much teaching him that what I call clean, don't you call common or unclean. And so he shows him this vision, and the Holy Ghost gives him the interpretation, and when he comes back, he says, there are three guys looking for you downstairs. Go with them. What is that? The word of knowledge. Peter just came out of a trance. He's still hungry. He doesn't know three people are downstairs. He's just thinking his food is downstairs, but now the word of knowledge is operating. And so we see a trance, which is another level of visions. But then you'll see in the Old Testament specifically, as well as the book of Revelation other places, what we call an open vision. And an open vision, your physical senses are not suspended. That you could just be living your life, and all of a sudden, the spirit world opens, and you see everything around you. It is not an inner vision where your eyes are closed and you see it on the inside. You just see it. I remember, Dad, I was watching... um, an old video of Dad Hagen. Now, I was honored to be blessed to meet Dad Hagen. I've been into three meetings of his in my lifetime before he went home to be with the Lord. But I've learned a lot more from, from his books and his YouTube videos. And so I'm watching one of these old YouTube videos. It's really cool to see these old YouTube videos because, you know, you see it's the people who taught you like decades ago. You know, sometimes like, oh, look, there's Bishop. Look at that. Oh, wow. Look, look, at how the, look how Pastor Michelle just fell out. Look at that. That's a wild service. Then he's like, oh, wow, look at Sister Billy. She kicked off her shoe. You know, you see these moves of the Holy Ghost. And so this is an old one from somewhere. It could have been the 70s. It could have been the early 80s. And Sister Billy and others up there are prophesying. And Dad Hagen stops, and he starts describing what he sees. Now, it's not open where everybody sees it, but he's operating the discernment of the spirits in the office of the prophet. And he says, there are angels, one on this side, one on this side. One is saying, whoa, and he's describing what they're saying. He's operating in the discerning of spirits. Now, his physical senses weren't suspended. His eyes weren't closed, but this is what he saw. And so you'll see things in the book of Revelation, other times when an angel appears, 
It's a vision still, but the physical senses haven't been suspended. You'll see this operating of Paul's ministry a lot, where he says, Jesus stood by me last night. All of a sudden, Jesus walked in and sat down next to me. It's an operation of an open vision and an operation of the discerning of spirits. Now, these things operate as the Holy Ghost wants to operate. Now, he's very willing, but you can't make yourself have a vision. So if you're trying to make yourself have a vision, I keep saying it, so stop. Stop stressing yourself out to have a vision. Just let the Holy Ghost talk to you however he wants to talk to you. If he wants to give you a vision, he'll give you a vision. If he wants to give you a dream, he'll give you a dream. If he wants to operate in these ways, he will. Just say, Holy Spirit, I'm open however you want to talk to me today. And one of the first things he might tell you to do, go read the Bible. So I wrote your whole book. You should read it sometime. Because we judge every experience by the book. Amen? We are Pentecostal charismatic people, and we believe in experiences with God. But everything has to be judged by the Word of God. This is our guidebook. This is how, why we live. This is how we make our decisions and what we believe and what we trust by the Word of God. And I shouldn't have to say it, but we also need to look at the Word compared to what we hear on the news. So, well, you're talking about the virus? No, you have a commentator saying, well, Jesus wasn't perfect. Excuse you? What? What? That's not what the, the spotless Lamb of God. Yes, it's very clear. It's not even a debatable issue. But then some people are just run to believe it because they don't know the Bible for themselves. Don't just take someone just because someone with a camera said something. Come on, in this day and age, we all can have cameras and say something. Well, they have a lot of followers, and Satan has a lot of followers too. Don't just take it because someone said it. You get in the Word for yourself. You need to be like the Bereans in the book of Acts, that they went home and studied the Word of God to see if these things were true. You must have your own relationship with God. You must have your own time in the Word. You must have your own time listening to the Spirit of God. And you must make a decision, I'm going to live open so He can use me in whichever way He desires to use me. Because He wants to use you. And as we talked about called the series The God Spectrum, there's, very, there's various different colors in the light spectrum. And it's various different ways God wants to use us. That's why there's diversities of gifts, but the same God. And so you might say, oh man, I really like how he uses that person. Well, that doesn't mean that's how he wants you to be used. Because maybe the way he uses you is going to reach someone else that person can't reach. You can operate under the same anointing and still operate differently. Like, I have a bishop's anointing, but we operate differently. Now, it works well that we can work well together and operate together in the same experience, the same service. But God doesn't expect me to be him. God expects me to be me. I like what Joyce Meyer said of this way. He says, you're never more anointed than when you're being yourself. You're never more anointed than when you're being yourself. God has anointed you to be you. He didn't anoint you to be somebody else. And he wants to work through you in a different way so other people can experience him in the way they need to experience him. Could, think about it this way. Are there people in the world today that don't know Jesus because you've been a copycat? Are there people in the world today that don't know Jesus because you've been a copycat? Because you don't have a relationship with God for yourself, you're just copying someone else. Now, the Bible says be, follow those who follow faith and patience. You follow their example. But it doesn't mean you have to do every single thing. 
and lose the individuality God has given you. I was reading this old quote by Oral Roberts and he told Richard, he said, only follow me if you can see Jesus over my shoulder. If you can't see Jesus anymore, stop following me. So there's ways to follow, but it doesn't mean we become clones. There's similarities, but God didn't call us to be clones. He called us to be us. Because even look at the ministry of Jesus and he 12, trained those 12 guys and 70 others. They all had their own individual style, individual personalities. But you know there were similarities how they operated like Jesus did. You see some of them, they did the same thing, but they were still themselves. So be the you God has called you to be, the you that is submitted to the word of God, the you that's submitted to the spirit of God. But he wants to use your personality, your style, and your background to be the light of the world. Amen. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.